The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Getting In, a college coach conversation hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. There are so many challenges involved in the college process, including choosing the right college, planning a payment strategy, creating a high school plan, and much more. The team of experts from College Coach are here to help you find some, if not all, of the answers you need. Now, here is your host, Elizabeth Heaton. Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. I almost forgot the name of my show there for a second. Sorry. Um... It is Thursday, October 6th. We are so deep in the middle of application season that uh, all of my colleagues and I are basically back and forth on email constantly, um, joking around because the rest of the time we're helping students edit essays and answering tons of questions. Um, Basically, it feels like 24-7, even if it isn't actually 24-7. So um, for those of you who are right there with us, I know what you're going through, and you will get through it. And uh, unlike for us, it will be over for you uh, within the next few months. And for us, it's something we do every year. It's a little bit like Groundhog Day in October. Uh, Today, we are talking all about the Common App. Uh, So for those of you who aren't familiar with it, it is an application that students can fill out that's accepted at more than, or close to, I guess I should say, 700 different private and public institutions. Uh, It is, there is a new version every year that some years just features some minor tweaks and some years a bigger overhaul. Um, But every year without fail, my colleague, Elise Krantz, who happens to be a former Barnard College and Bennington College admissions officer, writes an incredible blog uh, that is usually multi-part uh, to fill everyone in on what they need to know. And so I'm super lucky today to welcome Elise to the show. Hi, Elise. Hi, Beth. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. And I'm very excited to have you uh, join us today because I'm just going to let our re- listeners know uh, that when any of us on the team, and there are about 38 of us, have a question about the Common App, the person we invariably turn to is Elise. So um, there isn't a better expert out there talking to you today, in my opinion, than Elise. So thank you so much for taking the time today. Thank you. Uh, All right. So I'm going to actually start with a question a little bit out of left field, because one of the things that actually we went back and forth today, uh, not today, but earlier this week as a team about was this whole idea of colleges and priority applications. So we had a call from a dad who uh, spoke to an educator and said, basically, this school is telling us that they would we'll get priority consideration if we use this special application versus applying via the common app. And the person who spoke with the dad said, I'm not sure that's accurate, but let me make sure that I understand this correctly and kind of threw it out to the team. And so my, what I would love to hear from you is 
what is the deal with the priority applications that different schools send out? And is it true that you get better or greater consideration if you use that versus if you use the Common App? This is a question we do get a lot. And it seems like every year people forget the truth and they go back to this myth of the priority app is a VIP app and it'll somehow improve my chances. But unfortunately, it all boils down to marketing. And it's from our experience, the colleges that use these, they send out these special applications, sometimes that are partially filled out already with students' basic biographical information and will even waive the application fee as an incentive to get them to apply to a school perhaps that they were not going to apply to. But it's rather tempting, don't you think, if you get an email from a school saying, we want you to apply and here's here's the app, it's almost ready, just hit submit. It's it's just a way for them to drum up their application numbers so that they can get more students applying, so that they can admit fewer and look that much more selective. And right. for schools that accept the common application, it is really unethical and perhaps a little bit on the illegal side for them to have a preference for their own application over the common application because any school that signs on as a common app member is bound to give equal weight to any application that they choose to accept. Absolutely. And, you know, I think we can say, too, that from an admissions office perspective, um, they have they have guidelines that come from above, and sometimes the guidelines from above are, we want you to get more applications, and this is a way in, in which to do this. Um, and But if you call the office and you talk to them, they will invariably tell you, it doesn't matter. You can either use the priority application or you can use the Common App. We don't have a preference for one over the other. And certainly what we have seen over the years is that they are true to that word. Um, and I think the other thing to keep in mind, because you're right, it's so enticing, right? Oh, you want me. And I basically don't need to do anything. Sometimes they even waive the application fee for me. But what mm-hmm. sometimes happens with those is that maybe they, they're saying, you don't even have to write an essay. But maybe you worked really hard on your essay and it's going to be a real nice addition to your application. And so if you're going to give them less information about you to make a decision on, why would you do that when you could give them a little bit more? So in some cases, I actually tell students, I would just use the Common App rather than taking advantage of the Priority App. Especially Um, if you've already taken the time to fill out your Common Application and it's in a great place, you know. Exactly. It's, it's exactly. I agree. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that we're a little off track there, but um, I do think it's an important thing for our listeners to know. Okay. So as I mentioned at the top of the show, Elise writes a series of blogs every year about the Common App, and I have got them in front of me, and I wanted to take us through them um, and really try to get to as many of the tips that you share in those blogs with our listeners as possible. So um, you start where everyone starts, and that's with the profile page. Um, And we're also going to talk a little bit about activities in this early going. And so you have a a really great tip right at the beginning of um, this blog, and it has something to do with the email address that you're using and a voicemail greeting that you might have on your cell phone. So tell us a little bit about your advice in this section. Sure. So on the common application, there's a place to enter your email address, which is the the way that colleges will primarily communicate with you, as well as a preferred telephone number and perhaps an alternate telephone number. And whenever I'm proofing a student's application, I always look for a couple of things here. First, is their email address 
sort of college-worthy? Does it sound professional mm-hmm. enough that it's mm-hmm. not going to embarrass you if it gets read aloud at an admissions committee? And, you know, sometimes students are using the same email addresses that they created back when they were in middle school, and those don't always work for college. Um, not that they would deny you because of it, but certainly it's nice to put your best foot forward. This is a formal application, so I usually advise students to go boring, first name, dot last name, a couple mm-hmm. numbers in there. It's generally a safe way to go. Um, and then for the, the phone numbers, sometimes students list their preferred number as their cell phone, but when I've tried calling that cell phone, I notice their voicemail greeting isn't set up. Or if it is set up, it's kind of a casual, hey, it's Sandy, leave a message. And it's, it's just, if colleges are going to be calling you, it's nice to have, again, that more professional-sounding voice so that they know you're responsible, you're taking this seriously. Right. And the likelihood that a college is going to call you is probably pretty slim, but they, if they ask for a number, you should assume, hey, they might use it, right? So I think that's great advice. Um, there's a story that we tell a lot at College Coach about someone who one of our former colleagues worked with whose email address was, I score a lot. And <laughs> that's just not particularly appropriate to go on your college application. So don't be that kid. Uh, another one we get a lot of questions about uh, are is the optional section when it comes to demographics, right? So the Common App asks questions about your religious background, your racial background, your ethnic background, uh, and people worry that they, if they check a box, it's going to work against them. If they don't check a box, it will somehow harm them. Uh, and I, I don't want to, exp- there may be other things we'll talk about today that deal when the question is optional, but, um, what's your advice on the demographic section, particularly these, this part, that's all, the whole thing is optional. So what do you think? Right, right. And I, you know, I had my own ideas going into this when I was writing this particular post on the blog, but I, first I pulled the college coach team because I was curious to know if, if my reaction was in line with my colleagues, and uh, one of our, our fellow coworkers here at College Coach um, mentioned how if you, if you leave these questions blank and you don't list your religion or your race or your ethnicity, it could come across as though you're trying to hide a part of your identity because you don't trust that the admissions officers are going to use that information the way it was intended, and that is to understand your background better and just to figure out who you are and where you're coming from. And if that level of trust isn't there, it's going to be hard sometimes for the reader to continue on in your application without knowing that the relationship between the applicant and the admissions officer is is safe and secure and comfortable. So I I recommend my students fill it out if they're comfortable doing so. Um, You know, admissions officers... They're not prejudiced. They, they're really just trying to get to know you and who your family is and where they're from. And it's, I think, whether you have um, a last name that strongly comes from a particular ethnicity, then, you know, that's just colleges sometimes can figure it out anyway. So I, I right. say just, just be open, you know, let, just lay it out there and, and trust that they'll use the information ethically. And and I do think going back to what you were saying before that it it I mean it is optional. I, I think the the amount that it hurts if you don't check those boxes is probably very very small, um, mm-hmm. and it may it may not hurt at all. But I think that your the you know your overarching method message of 
you're trusting this reader with basically lots of information about yourself in the hopes that they will take it all in and um, come up with a favorable decision. Um, And so if you're trusting them with lots of other information, why not trust them with this information? I do know that this stems from something we could probably spend a whole show discussing is at times worrying that your particular background is somehow going to be a disadvantage to you in the process. Um, I would argue that it, it isn't, A, and B, that you're not going to hide whatever background you might have by not checking one box. Um, I don't know. So it's a little tricky for sure. I don't know that there's an easy answer there, but um, I'm with you. I lean on the side of why wouldn't you just fill it out? I I really don't feel that it hurts anybody. It certainly didn't when I was reading files and obviously um, not when you were reading files. Um, Right. This next one is actually a really good one, and I struggle with this one. Um, So there is a question about proficiency level in a foreign language um, and what box to check there. What's your advice when it comes to that section? I think if the common application didn't provide additional instruction for this particular question, I might be inclined to say, sure, go ahead and list two if you speak one language at home and then another language you're studying as a foreign language in school. Um, But on the common application itself, there's this nice little sidebar on every page that provides you with some little additional insights into how to answer the questions the way that they were intended. And the, the comment for proficiency specifically mentions that to be considered proficient, you must be able to communicate effectively and converse comfortably. And I know certainly thinking back to my own Spanish classes in high school, you know, maybe I could get by and get a decent score on a test, but that didn't mean I could actually converse with a native speaker in a way that felt me felt comfortable for myself. So I think for most students who speak one language at home and are studying another in school, you're probably just proficient in one. But certainly for students who are multilingual, it's great to be able to, to mention that you you're comfortable communicating in more than one language. Yes. And I will, as a note of caution, I used to have on my resume proficient in French because I had studied it in middle and high school. I studied it in college. I actually did a semester abroad in college in Paris. And so I felt like, yeah, I'm proficient in French. Well, my very first interview that I ever had for a full-time job, the interviewer spoke French, looked at that on my resume and started the interview in French. Um, And I actually did get the job I wasn't to work for him. I did not prove myself to be particularly proficient, and I took it off my resume immediately. So if you imagine yourself in that situation, would I be comfortable? And if the answer is yes, then by God, you are uh, proficient. And if it's no, well, maybe you want to not. Okay, so there's a new thing on the Common App this year, the Scholar Snap. I believe that's new this Mm. year. What is that all about when students see that? Actually, it may have debuted last year. I take that back. So, um, but I think it's it's a little more uh, present this year. I think it, it entered last year's application season, sort of after September. But what it is basically is the Dell, the Michael and Susan Dell Foundation created this website that is meant to be similar to the Common App, except it's for scholarships. So the idea is you can complete one scholarship application and then check many boxes, and then send that single application out to several different scholarship agencies. Um, so if you check the yes box, you should receive an email from the Michael and Susan Dell Foundation 
telling you how to go online and to create that Scholar Snap account. I created uh, an account. I never got an email, but I went online to Scholar Snap anyway. I checked into it. I, I didn't see a lot of scholarships going on there that I hadn't already heard of through other scholarship mm-hmm. sources. So colleges, it doesn't affect an admissions decision at all, but if you're curious, what scholarships might be out there that you could be eligible for? Sure, check yes, but I don't think it's necessarily going to yield you a lot of scholarship dollars if, if you pursue this. Right, and if you imagine that every single student using the Common App is getting the same uh, invitation, right. right? So already I know our finance experts on the college coach team say, look outside the big scholarships that everyone's going to be looking at. This doesn't exactly mm-hmm. allow you to do that. So, um, exactly. okay, we have... We have time for one, maybe two more before we go to break. But the next one is around the cost of submitting applications. One of the the beautiful things about the Common App is that you can fill it out and then it can go to a number of different schools, but you have to pay for every single one of those schools. So um, what are your thoughts on that? It can get awfully expensive. I was doing a FaceTime session with a student who wanted to submit his applications while I was sort of virtually there with him. And, you know, one school is 60 and one was 70 and another's 55. And it adds up. It definitely adds oh, yeah. up. And there's some schools that are even like $90, which I think is the max. But um, while there are certainly many schools that charge zero, which is lovely, thank you for those colleges, um, students who find themselves in any kind of financial constraints where by paying several application fees in this sort of 40 to $75 range would present a hardship. They should know that it is perfectly okay to indicate on the common application that you would like to request a fee waiver. Um, and that is usually done, I believe it's on the, the college-specific supplement, not on the main part of the common app, but when you're actually applying to a particular school. And it's not going to hurt your chances. Um, checking a box, yes, you don't even have to prove it's true. You don't need to, like, give them a, a copy of your tax returns. I mean, sometimes um, a guidance counselor may verify the information through, through your high school, but it's, it's really a, an honor basis sort of check the box if it's a, if it's a hardship, and it's okay, it's okay to do that. Okay. Great. All right. We're going to um, go to break uh, just a little bit early. When we get back, we're going to be talking about the activities section, which I think is an important one, um, and the preview button, and then lots more about the Common App. So do not go anywhere. We are coming right back with more Common App information. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, how to prepare for standardized tests, what options are available to pay for college, and most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application. We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college. 
most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters, the one in the envelope that says yes. Visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in. If you are interested in real estate in America's largest city or anywhere, be sure to listen for Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. Although our focus is on Manhattan and other real estate markets in and around New York City, we'll have plenty of information that will help you successfully buy, sell, and close a transaction no matter where you are in the world. Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco can be heard every Tuesday at 9 a.m. in New York, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. You are listening to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. All right, we're back. And I promised that we would uh, go back to the Common App and talk about the activities list. I think this is an interesting tip. I will say, I'm not sure I always employ this with my students. So I may try to take a closer look at this um, with that in mind. But you have some advice for students filling out the activities list. And I think it would be helpful to share with our listeners. Sure. So on the Common App Activities page, there's room to list up to 10 different activities, clubs, sports, volunteer, jobs, anything like that. And most students provide a basic description, and that's kind of it. It's, it's, it's not a very overly worked part of the application for most applicants because they're focusing their time and effort on the essay, understandably. But when I was an admissions officer and when I was reading applications and I came across an activities page that was funny or it was used great descriptive words to, you know, to talk about the achievements they've done in these clubs or activities, I loved it. it. It was such a refreshing and exciting read that it made me feel more positive about their application as a whole because they took the time to make their resume list a little bit more special. So basically what I think it's important for students to think about is their word choice. I think that's the biggest. Um, so instead of just saying participate, 10 times. I participate in chess club. I participate in student government. Think about the other kinds of action verbs that you can use. Maybe you're managing. Maybe you're organizing. Maybe you founded. Maybe you studied. So there's so many ways to jazz up the the activities list to make it more interesting. Okay. I feel better because I definitely have my students do that kind of thing. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Um, I will say, I will say it is always amazing when you come across I read an, an essay yesterday that had a couple of moments in it that made me genuinely laugh. And by the end of the essay, I just, even though it had things that needed fixing and I, I, you really, there was something that you felt that was great about that student. However, that said, not everybody can be witty. So if you are not naturally mm-hmm. witty, please don't try to be, but definitely you can certainly vary your language so that it makes for a more interesting read. So very good advice. Um 
So in the we there have been some things in the Common App where for a, a year or two you couldn't actually preview the Common App before you sent it, um, but I think the preview is back. So tell us a little bit about that the preview button that you'll find on the Common App. Right. So. If you want to see your application in its entirety, like the from start to finish, the PDF that colleges will see, you can only view that when everything is in place and you have all of the green check marks. But if you just want to look at, for example, your uh, activities page, or you want to look at the um, your biographical page or your school page, you can do you can view individual PDFs of those components of the application by clicking on this preview button in the upper right-hand corner of each page of the Common Application. And this is such a helpful tool for students, especially to make sure that they didn't miss anything. Um, So not a required question. They would notice that was missing. But if they had a typo in their name or if they are looking over their activities list and they notice, oh, I was kind of monotonous with my word choice here, they're going to see it in one page. It's a really nice, easy way to know what is my application going to look like when colleges are reviewing it. Yeah, and and um, sometimes just because it does switch up the view that you have, it looks very different from where you're filling it out, and now you're actually seeing how it looks on the final version. I do think sometimes that makes errors that you're missing in the other format kind of much more glaring and obvious. So very, very good choice to use that preview button as much as possible. Uh, Okay. Now let's move on to the education page of the application. Um, And one of the questions they ask about is uh, where you attend high school. uh, And they want to know if you have attended more than one high school and and some other things. So what is... um, you know, what is your advice around answering this? And one thing I will note, because I get this question, is students will say, well, I went to a different school before I went to high school. Well, it's really mostly about high school, right? Right. So on the education tab of the application, there's a section called education interruption. So this is where they want to know, did you change secondary schools or high schools and at any point from ninth through 12th grade, did you take a gap year during that time? Are you graduating early? Are you graduating late? Any of that, I mean, it may not seem like an interruption to you, but if it's not that traditional 9 through 12 flow at one particular school, that's considered an interruption. And so for students, and usually it's for the gap year or a, a transfer in high schools, those are usually the reasons why students would have to check this box, but they would want to indicate that they did change secondary schools or they did take time off. And then once you say yes to that, you get a little pop-up box where you can provide a very brief explanation of why. And I think that's nice for students to be able to do that so that colleges don't wonder, why did she transfer high schools after 10th grade? So that you can be upfront about it in your application. Yes, and the age old, if they're going to have a question, make sure you find a way to answer it for them or they'll answer it themselves. And maybe they would have a different explanation in their heads than is what actually happened. So, yes, and it's writing. It's a piece of writing. So be thoughtful, just like you are about the writing in your activities list and as you are about the writing in your essay. Be thoughtful about that writing as well. What about the question about um, college, whether you've taken classes at colleges and universities? I know students sometimes struggle about how to answer this, especially if they've taken, say, an AP class or something like that, which is supposed to be college level. Right. I struggle, too. I still struggle with this yeah, because when a student does one of those 
college programs. Like I had a student this year who did a program at Michigan, and I had another one who did a program at Penn State. And in both of those cases, I told them not to list it on their college and university tab of the Common App because they didn't earn college credit. I think even though the instructions don't come out and say that's the only reason you should list a college here, I think that's really what it boils down to. Colleges want to know, have you taken a legitimate college course on a college campus? And what is it? Did you, what was the, you know, the date that you took it? Did you get a transcript from it? And they're going to probably want to see the transcript. So if you're in one of those instances, yes, certainly list that you've attended a college and have taken a class. But if you've done the AP route or you've done just a more of an enrichment program at a college, that information belongs on the activities portion of your application, not on the colleges slash universities tab of the application. Yes, agreed. But I, again, I have the same like, huh, is this, is this not? So we always have to have a conversation about it. Uh, okay, the next section where they ask about grades and including things like class rank and GPA, we might get more questions about this sometimes than any other part of the uh, Common App. So what's your advice when it comes to filling this section out? Generally, I say less is more. So if it's optional here for this question, I'd say in most instances, it's a leave it blank, unless you happen to have a really fantastic rank or a killer GPA, then great, list it. But if you're, you know, you don't need to flaunt sort of a mediocre grade or just an average rank. They're going to see this information when they look at the transcript. So self-reporting something that you may not be particularly proud of serves you no purpose. So the only required question on this particular grades tab of the application is what is your graduating class size and rank and GPA, you can leave blank, and that's perfectly okay. Yeah, and I think the other big challenge for a lot of people is they, if their high school doesn't give them a GPA, they don't really know how to calculate their own GPA. And then you have the issue where so many different schools do their GPAs differently, both high schools and colleges. So some colleges recalculate, add their own weighting, unweight, take it right off the transcript. There are like a million different combinations. And so for that reason, I generally advise the same, like just leave it blank. They're going to have your transcript. They're going to do whatever they're going to do with with it. Um, you don't have to fill that section out. Um, okay. The, the, we're not going to really dig into the testing piece because we're actually going to do a longer segment on that on another show. Uh, but suffice to say that in a similar way to not filling out the optional section about rank and GPA and all of that, it is perfectly fine to not self-report your test scores. The vast majority of colleges want you to submit your test scores to them through the proper channels, meaning through the college board or through the ACT organization. And so self-reporting them here really doesn't do much for you. Um, and if you really don't know yet, I don't know which scores I'm going to send. I don't know what my final results are going to be because I don't have everything. Um, you might be best served just by leaving it blank, but we are going to dig into this much more deeply uh, in a future sh show. So come back for that. Uh, oh, here's a big one. I actually wrote a Huffington Post article about this um, next section, but they do ask um, a question about disciplinary violations on the Common App. And so what's your advice when it comes to this section? Right. Okay. So I'm just navigating it over to it now on the Common App so I can look at the wording. So there's a section called disciplinary history on the Common Application, and it asks, 
have you ever been found responsible for a violation, ninth grade forward, um, that it could have been like a suspension or being expelled from school, something like that. And then a second question asks, have you ever been found guilty of a misdemeanor or a felony? Um, and new this year, it's, been, it's made the news. It's, I think NYU started it. I heard recently that the SUNY schools, the state New York um, system, has also chosen to ignore these questions on the common application because they don't want to hold students, you know, to have it held against them. It's okay to have mm-hmm. a fresh start. Um, but for a student who has, let's say, had an issue in school, maybe it was a, you know, plagiarism or cheating, and they were found responsible, it is your duty to check yes, and it, you are allowed to provide an explanation, and this is a, such a great opportunity to take responsibility for your actions and to not place blame on your school or your teacher, um, but really acknowledging that you made a mistake and then thinking about what you learned from that and then how to move forward and how you're, you're working harder to, you know, to put that behind you and really are expecting that college will be a completely new page. And that can make a difference. A well-written explanation here can certainly make a difference for colleges. Yes, agreed. Um, and like I said, I did write a blog about that. You might be able to find a link to it on our blog, but if you could also just Google um, my name, Elizabeth Heaton, and Huffington Post, and it'll come up with a couple of blogs that I've written, and one of them is about that. So, okay, very quickly, too, because we have a whole other section that I want to make sure we get to. Um Kara Courtois was a guest on the show a couple of weeks ago, and we talked about the additional information section. Um, So if you want more information about that, I would go to the archives and listen to that show. But the basic message here is the additional information is here for students to use if they have additional information to share. This is not an opportunity to just send in some additional stuff because, hey, well, there's this blank section and I don't want to leave it blank. That's this, I don't know about you, Elise, but I hear that all the time. Well, mm-hmm. I heard you should never leave anything blank. And I don't know if you have a quick thought about that. Um, recently, somebody on the team emailed me asking my advice about whether or not her student should use the additional info section because some schools will accept a musical supplement and others won't. And so for the schools that won't, she's going to put a, a basic musical resume in the additional information section. And that's a perfect reason to use that kind of space. But for the other schools that accept a special musical supplement, she won't do that. So in those instances, I think it, it could be a great opportunity. But right, you don't need to write a second essay. Don't just cut and paste your resume in there. It's, that's not what it was intended for. Exactly. And I'm going to go back to something I've said many times on the show. If the free, if, if you're saying something, if something comes out of your mouth that starts with, I've heard that, you should already be saying to yourself, huh, I wonder if that's, if there's any legitimacy to it at all, uh, that at all, because when you say I've heard that, you're almost definitely talking about rumors that are going around or things that people have kind of shifted over the years. And so what may have once been a factual statement has been changed multiple times until now it has no bearing on reality. So I've, I've heard that. Be careful. Proceed with caution. Okay. Um, All right, so let's go to more about the writing section. And this first 
um, tip in the third section or the third um, installment of the blog is such a good one. I was actually telling somebody on the phone the other day about this. Don't forget to do this. You think there's no writing, but you might be wrong. So tell us a little bit about the hidden essay questions, which strikes fear into my heart and the heart of all applicants. (laughs) Right. So that's the big question, right? When you're adding a new college to your list is, are there any extra essays I need to write? And you don't always know until you fill out a couple of basic questions first on the supplement to that college. So essay questions can be hidden in a variety of places, and it's frustrating, but you just have to dig a little bit, and you will be able to uncover them. So sometimes you'll notice that there is a writing tab or a special writing supplement tab, and you can find the essay question right off the bat for a particular college. But other times, you won't see anything having to do with writing. Um, and that could be because the essay is hiding in an, uh, an activities tab, because they're asking for you to write about a club or an activity. Or it might be hiding in just a general tab, where they ask you to write a second essay about that school. Or it might be the case that you need to first answer a couple of questions about when you're applying, for example, fall 2017, and you're applying regular decision or early action or early decision, and then the essay question will appear. So you have to do a little bit of diligence there to make sure you uncover it. But once it's there, you can certainly work on it, tackle it, and uh, it'll be great. Yes. I, in fact, and I'm curious, I haven't actually, um, I, I always open up a practice common app for myself so that I can see what my students are seeing every year. And I don't think I added Cornell to the list, but I know, and it's my alma mater. And so it, it upsets me even more for that reason, for, for no real reason. But <laughs> do they still have the, you have to answer the question about which school you are planning to apply to. And then the essay pops up, but not before then. Is that still the case? Exactly. Yep, it's still the case. You have to select the college that you're applying to within the university, and then that school-specific essay will appear. And what's new this year that is incredibly frustrating is for any student applying to the University of Michigan, they can fill out that whole supplement, and they won't see any um, unique essay question about a business major if they want business. But once they select, I want the Ross School of Business, all of a sudden this whole new supplement pops up. They have to create an account. It's this whole production where they have a few extra essays, but it only appears after you say, I want the Ross School of Business. So similar, similar cases, Cornell. We, um, I discovered that very thing about Michigan uh, earlier. About a month ago, I had a student and she wrote a great essay. She had all her other Michigan pieces done. And then she went in and selected that. And she said, wait, do I have to do these two? And that was an unpleasant surprise. So do your best to uncover those early in the process rather than late in the process. That's my advice there. Um, okay, we're going to go to break. And when we get back, we're going to uh, continue to talk about the Common App and some other important things for you to know. Uh, so we will be back in a very short while and you do not want to go anywhere. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. 
If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, how to prepare for standardized tests, what options are available to pay for college, and most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application. We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters, the one in the envelope that says yes. Visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in. You count. Tune into Interrevolutionary Radio and join the spontaneous wave of people all over the planet who, like you, are changing our world from the inside out. Follow the movement. Meet guests who are shaking things up. Call in and gain insights and courage to empower your own voice. Large or small, your part counts. So join us. Co-hosted by Beth Green and James Maynard, Interrevolutionary Radio airs live every Thursday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Variety Channel. The future of online TV is here. View exclusive content from your favorite talk radio hosts and new programs that you can't see anywhere else. Visit voiceamerica.tv today. You are listening to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Okay, Elise and I are back. If you're just tuning in, we've been talking all about the Common App, and you're going to want to go back and listen to the rest of the show when we're done. Um, And we have a few more important tips that we really want to get through, so very quickly. Um, There's a new option, new options plural, uh, on the Common App this year regarding gender terminology. Can you quickly tell us a little bit about that? Sure. Yeah, it's, it's, it seems small, but I think it's a big deal for, for a lot of people whom, whom this affects. On the personal information tab of the profile page, it now asks students if they want the opportunity to share more details about their gender identity. Because when you register for the Common App, it asks you what was your gender identity that you were assigned at birth. But for some students, who they were at birth is not who they are today, or they might be in transition. And a lot of colleges are jumping on the bandwagon um, and are giving students the opportunity to go even more in depth to say, here are the pronouns I like, here's the type of gender, how you can describe me as, which is nice for students who don't feel like they fit into that traditional binary male-female. Absolutely. Totally agree. I like that. Um, And feel free to to choose whichever one you feel best describes you and um, move on from there. Okay. What about uploading an optional resume? I think this is is always a conversation... um, and I think I have I could go either way sometimes depending on the student um, and what they've accomplished. But what are your thoughts on uploading an optional resume? I think for most applicants, it is unnecessary to upload a resume. So for the opportunity to do so would 
present itself on a school-specific supplement. Usually it's on an activities tab, and it'll say, would you like to upload a resume? If so, you can do so here, and it's optional, completely, completely optional. And a lot of students may not have a resume, and then they worry, oh, no, I don't have a resume. Or others may simply take what they've done on the activities page of the Common App sort of create a resume and then upload the same thing. So colleges aren't getting new information. So if, if you're in that situation, I would say don't upload. You're fine as is. It's really more for the students who have more than 10 activities that they would like to share with colleges or maybe uh, for whom their activities required an unusual level of commitment or depth and 150 characters on the Common App was not enough space to adequately describe right. their involvement. And so a resume here could be a great opportunity so that they can spell that out in more detail. Right. And um, I think very important to highlight, as you did, that not all schools offer this option to students and that just because mm-hmm. the it's offered as an option, um, it is optional at most places. And therefore, if it doesn't, if it doesn't make sense, then don't do it. Um, All right. So there's this new thing that popped up maybe this year, maybe this is the second year this has been around, but to do something called Zimi. What is that all about? We are getting questions about that. We are. And one of my students emailed me just the other day, do I need to create a Zimi account? So basically (laughs) what Zimi is, it's It's the second year that it's been around hooked through the Common Application. And about 100 Common App schools, I think, have a place for students to upload their Zini profile. Um, It's kind of like a social media-style resume that can be shared with colleges. So it's a place where you can upload videos, pictures. You can do sort of a little resume for yourself and then share that page with schools. The, the trick is, is that it needs to look professional if this is going to colleges. So it's not meant to be your own personal Twitter page, Instagram. I'm so not up on that. I don't know what examples to use, but <laughs> I, it's, it's not meant to be that. This is meant to be more of um, a really nice visual resume for colleges. And if you are good at doing that sort of thing, great. Create a Zimi account. It could enhance an application that maybe isn't as strong if, if your grades or, or testing doesn't really show your potential, but you have a lot of other creative sides to yourself, Zimi could be a great way to highlight that, but you don't have to do it. It's optional. Right. And, and I think that there are some schools where they're really going to love something like that and other schools where it's not going to move the needle at all. Um, I think, was it Goucher who last year introduced the idea that you could actually apply using a video rather than writing an mm-hmm. essay? Um, Mm -hmm. So a place like Goucher might really love that. They're exploring alternative ways for students to apply. But, you know, if a Zimi page is not going to make up for not such great grades and test scores at an Ivy, for example, unfortunately, sorry, but it isn't. and that's just because students, their their applicant pools are just so, so um, uh, accomplished that something like that just isn't going to make up for something else. Um, but it's true. It's a cool option. And they're at the schools that accept it, I'm guessing they, they, they really feel like it's going to add to their insight into the student. So um, mm-hmm. not required. All right. Here's a big one that comes up a lot. And, um, and it's always a bad thing when um, a student answers this question wrong. It creates a lot of angst. 
Uh, I don't know if you're on the counselor board on Facebook, um, but I am. Yes, and I, I am. This, do you see that pop up all the time around my student checked the wrong box and now we don't know what to do and how to change it. So hopefully we can get to you before you do this. Let's talk about waiving your right to access your letter of recommendation. Right. So before you can submit your common application, you have to go through this FERPA release authorization. So basically, it asks you, do you waive or not waive your right to see your recommendations at a later date? Colleges, high schools, college counselors, we would all recommend that students waive their rights because it means that teachers feel that they can write an honest recommendation, and colleges know that teachers are writing honest recommendations. Um, and so though it may feel a little for the student like you're losing control of, how will I know if this is a good letter or not? Um, it's just something you have to trust that if you have a good relationship with a teacher and he or she has agreed to write it for you, then know that they will do their best job to advocate for you. So waive your right. And you can't change this at a later date. That's the hard part. So you can't like check the I do not waive and then all of a sudden change it to waive. Once it's in there, it's in there. And you have to go through a lot through the common app, I think, to somehow Yeah. You know I don't know what you do even. I haven't even reached to out about them. But um it's a production. I think you have to go so to the help waiving desk. your right. Yeah. Oh, maybe okay. through the help desk they can fix yeah. it. But I think colleges see that you've have not waived your rights. And then they sort of have that question mark in the back of their mind when they're reading your recommendations. So it's a little tricky. And I I think something to point out is that let's say you decide not to waive your rights because you feel like, well, I really want to be able to see those. You need to know that you waiving, not waiving your right doesn't mean then that you can go to school X that denied you and say, I want to see those letters of recommendation because I want to see why I didn't get admitted. There must be something bad in them. In fact, the only time you could see those letters would be if you enroll at school Y and you know, if you, they, admit you, and then you decide to enroll, then you could go and ask to see a copy of your recommendation letter. Um, at which point, who cares? You're in. It doesn't matter, right? Um, and I do think also that a lot of schools have been purging those files. Uh, and so even if you didn't waive your right, the likelihood that it's still in your file might be slim to none. So you might even never get to see it anyway. Um, so there's sort of no reason not to waive your right from my perspective. Agreed. Uh, okay. So something we get uh, a lot of questions about usually post November one. So a big deadline is November one. There are a few schools that are accepting applications on October 15th. Um, but a huge deadline is November 1st. And after November 1st, we seem to get a flood of questions around. I noticed that I, you know, I submitted my application and now I am, I just got a new award that I want to add. I have a better version of my main essay that I want to submit. I want to change it because I want to use the version of my essay that I wrote for the Common App. I want to use that for a supplemental essay because it's a good fit for their question and I want to use a different main essay. So can you, first of all, make any changes once the application is submitted? And then second of all, is there a limit if you can? So... Once you submit an application, you can't change any information in that submitted application. That's sort of grayed out. It's done. If you need to make a change, you need to contact the college directly. But for any school that you have not yet submitted your Common App to, 
yeah, fair game. You can change everything. You can change the essay. You can change your parents' names. I mean, you could change um, your test scores. And I mean, that's kind of a legitimate one. The parents was a joke. But it <laughs> is important to know that if you find an error, a typo, if you wanted to update your essay, as you mentioned, absolutely, there is no limit to the number of times you can make changes to your application before you submit it. And I'm working with a student this year who is going to be making a change to his application because it has to do with testing. He took the ACT. He had a, an okay score, but he's taking it again in October. And so for all of his early action colleges that insist on the application being complete by November 1, including test scores, he's going to submit his old ACT, and he's listing it on the common application. But for the schools that allow for a few weeks to go by after the November 1 deadline, he's going to not list the old ACT, and he's just indicating that he took a new one, and he has essentially two versions of his application, and it's it, it works well for something like that, where you need to make shifts between schools because of test scores or essays, major, different majors, et cetera. Got it. And a couple of years ago, they had a limit to the number of times, number of versions of the Common App that you could create. And if I um, am thinking about this correctly, that no longer exists, correct? Correct. Now you can right. make it was times. a limit of three, which is so stressful. You know, how do you... Yes. You know, if, if you have major changes you'd like to make, how you know, and you can't make them, it's unfortunate. But I think the reason that the Common App did that was because they didn't want students to think they had to personalize their application for every school that they were applying to. Um, and so for that, I understand. But it's nice to know that students can make minor tweaks or even big changes if they need to for, for the different schools based on their, you know, the, the types of schools that they are or different um, changes that have happened in their in their lives since they've applied. So it's, right. it's a nice, right. flexible application. It is. And I, I do think we should stress, yes, the idea is not that you want to do a completely different or somehow personalized application for every single school, more that there might be little tweaks you want to make um, for a variety of reasons. And the Common App allows you to do that. And that is always a plus. Um, Elise, is there anything we are getting uh, up to the time uh, to our time limit. Is there anything else uh, that you wanted to mention um, before we wrap up? I think just finally, after you go through the whole process of submitting your application, it's always a good idea to go back onto the Common App just to look at the Dashboard tab to make sure that everything indeed was submitted and was received. Um, Because sometimes you may think, oh, it's all in but maybe you forgot to do the writing supplement and you only submitted the main Common App. Um, so it's good to double check. You'll see nice little green circles or green check marks across the board, and this is a nice, safe way to know that your Common App part of the application is, is in and received. Awesome. That is really great advice. Thank you. Um, and thanks for joining me today for the whole show. I, su- I really appreciate it. Oh, it's fun. My pleasure. Thank you. All right, great. Uh, All right, so next week, Sally is back, and she's going to be hosting, and she's going to be doing another in the Schools In Application Workshop series. Uh, And then we're also going to be doing a segment on filling out the CSS profile. So last week, we talked about uh, filling out the FAFSA. This coming week, we're going to be talking about filling out the CSS profile, which is a financial aid form that is required at a number of different schools. Um, Visit our archives. We have so much great stuff in there. Um, I think I alluded to them a couple of times in the show today. Um, 
<clears throat> if you have questions, you can send them in to us at gettingin.voiceamerica@gmail.com. Um, there are a lot of great free ways to interact with us. We have a great website, getintocollege.com. A great blog, getintocollege.com forward slash blog. Um, We're on Pinterest. We're on LinkedIn. Uh, You can sign up for free downloads of our show on iTunes. And while you're there, please rate us. We're getting more ratings, but not enough to move us up a little bit higher. So if you listen and you like it, just log in and and give us a rating. Um, And don't forget, we are here every Thursday, 4 p.m. Eastern and 1 p.m. Pacific. Thank you for tuning in to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation, hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. Please join us again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week.